0: This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as the senior pastor of Cornerstone Church. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for being here. How you doing? If you don't have a copy of the scriptures, please raise your hand. Our ushers will bring you a free copy of the Bible so that you can follow along. And turn with me please to Galatians chapter 3. We're doing a series of messages as we celebrate the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century and beyond. A series of messages on Paul's letter to the Galatians. Several churches in this area we're going to look today at Galatians chapter 3 so turn with me there I want you to be able to follow along as we unpack these verses I'm going to start reading just for context and because these are two of my favorite verses in chapter 2 verse 20. Galatians begin reading in chapter 2. Verse 20, and then we'll just go right into chapter 3 down through verse 9. Paul says, and this is God's holy Word, and it's a privilege to read it publicly this morning. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, and Christ died for no purpose. O oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Did you suffer so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, and the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham the man of faith. Amen. Main point today. I believe the Lord wants to get something critical across to us as a church, as a community. Pursue experiences of god's empowering presence pursue experiences of god's empowering presence in in chapter 2 there in verse 20 paul one man wrote opens up his inner soul in a way he does only rarely Some people call this the mysticism of Paul. I think it's better to understand it as a revelation of Paul's Christ centered life based on a a real death to self, which results in a real, a new and real life. He calls Christ living in me. That's the Christian life. That's the expectation. Christ living in me. Galatians is about more than justification by faith alone. It's it's about more, as good as that is, it's about more than forgiveness of sin. It's about life-changing power, because that's what these churches that Paul planted We're experiencing, and we're continuing to experience. If you study Reformed theology, and we've been talking a lot about it, you will find yourself at times among cessationists. And the question is whether certain gifts of the Spirit were permanent gifts or temporary gifts they believe that some gifts have, quote, ceased, thus the name, cessationists. They, they think they were essential for the church in, in her infancy, but once the New Testament was complete and we had the Bible, we had the New Testament Scripture, God's Word canonized and given to the church, these, these gifts, these extraordinary gifts cease. So, So you could say that we are, or I am, a continuationist. I believe the Spirit continues to work today the way the Spirit worked in the New Testament. I've I've been exposed to many presentations on the sensationist position. I've read much about it. I've never been convinced. Most, Most cessationists realize it's not explicitly taught in the Scripture but it's, in their opinion, implied. So they treat it as a secondary issue and we have wonderful fellowship together. Martin Lloyd-Jones is an interesting man. He was and remains a hero for many of the Reformed people that I know and you know. He was from Britain, but he was loved around the world. He was Reformed, but he was not a cessationist. Throughout his life, he insisted on and longed for a vital spiritual experience in the church. He fought against both dead formal religion, intellectualism, and he also fought against kind of an emotionalism that he saw in the charismatic churches. He was burdened by a world that desperately needed Jesus Christ, that was without hope, and a church with no power to change it. And, and for him, the only hope was true revival. He believed the baptism of the Spirit was a, was a new and a fresh manifestation of God to the soul. He believed it was experiential. He, he believed it was undeniable. Something happened to a person When the Spirit came in their life, or in their church, and it it was beyond ordinary. He, He described it like this. He used an illustration from the Puritan, Thomas Goodwin. He said, this is what it's like. A man and his little child are walking down the road, and they're walking hand in hand, and the child knows that he is the child of his father, and he knows that his father loves him, and he rejoices in that, and he's happy in it. There's no uncertainty about it at all. But suddenly, the father, moved by some impulse, takes hold of the child and picks him up and holds him in his arms and kisses him and embraces him and showers his love on him. And then he puts him down again, and they go on walking together. The child knew before that his father loved him, and he knew that he was his child. But the loving embrace, the outpouring of love, this unusual manifestation made a statement this is what Lloyd-Jones thought it was like when revival came would you like that this is what it was like when people were filled with the spirit he believed that this kind of spiritual work was needed and was appropriate and to be expected today in individual's lives and in the church And he said when it happens, it's visible. He believed this would include signs and wonders, things like speaking in tongues, healing, miracles, prophecy. He taught that spiritual gifts are part of the work of revival. And he said we need some of this to authenticate the gospel. I find it funny because he started a publishing house. That's thriving today. I'm one of their best customers. Banner of Truth Trust. They sell all of his books. Except his book on the baptism of the Holy Spirit in revival. I think it's hilarious. He said this. Fanaticism is a terrible danger. I think we have this quote. Fanaticism is a terrible danger which we must always bear in mind. It arises from a divorce between Scripture and experience. I have seen this. Where we put experience above Scripture, claiming things that are not sanctioned by Scripture or are perhaps even prohibited by it. But there's a second danger, and it's equally important that we should bear it in mind. The second is the exact opposite of the first. As these things generally go from one violent extreme to the other. The second danger, then, is that of being satisfied with something very much less than what is offered in the Scripture and the danger of interpreting the Scripture by our experiences and reducing its teaching to the level of what we know and what we experience. And I would say, he would say, that this second is the greater danger of the two at the present time it's so easy to be satisfied with less motivated today by the grace of god i hope we're going to have some desires awakened for revival and god's empowering presence so turning to galatians 3 paul is beginning to take a look at the present situation in galatia And he's going to ask several questions. Five or six rhetorical questions here about the experience of these believers. How did they become believers initially? How do they hope to make progress as they approach that, that final day as they live their Christian life? How do they explain God's manifest presence? Why is He at work in their midst? Why is there God's power in their midst? And we're going we're gonna to unpack this text by looking at the emphasis that Paul places on two important biblical truths and then the experiences that follow them. So we're going to look at faith, justification, and then the experiences. So first of all, faith. Verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed As crucified. His first question is about their experience of Paul's preaching of Christ. He's talking about the work of the Spirit, he's talking about the gift of illumination. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. He's talking about preaching the gospel. They have experience Christ through His preaching. They've experienced the Spirit. But, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? This, is, this would have been common imagery in the Greek world. The, it, it's, it's that of them being deceived by an evil eye. Are they under the spell of an evil eye? would have been a common way of talking you might say i hope you're doing well and unharmed by the evil eye you know we might say ut football may be under an evil eye Amen. or i hope i hope i hope bama is under an evil eye come saturday Amen. and may the yankees always be under an evil eye you get the point it's it's very striking language Paul is upset. Why is he asking Christians, churches, are you under an evil eye? Before their eyes, Christ had been put on public display. He had been crucified with Christ and he had preached to them Christ crucified and they had seen it. John Piper says this from his wonderful book, I highly recommend, that touches on this whole Subject of the work of the Spirit powerfully. The portrayal came with words. It was preaching, not pictures. But it was so real, so vivid that Paul said it was an appeal to their eyes. Before your eyes, Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed. They saw the peculiar glory of Christ in the preaching of the gospel. Paul was so taken back by their apparent departure that he called it a kind of witchcraft. Who has bewitched you? They had been converted by seeing the peculiar glory of Jesus, most vividly in his crucifixion. His hope was that his letter, the letter to the Galatians, would blow the demonic vapors away and restore this vivid sight of Christ's glory. They experienced Paul's preaching. They experienced it powerfully. You can have this happen in reading the Bible. It's God's Word in hearing preaching. It's a work of the Spirit. They experienced the gift of illumination. They heard the preaching of the gospel supernaturally. There was a revival. They were changed. And it begs the question, verse 2, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? Is that how it happened? Or by hearing with faith? How did this powerful work, this gift of illumination, they saw Christ with the eyes of their heart crucified. How did it happen? you It's a statement. You received the Spirit by hearing with faith. Faith. You didn't experience God's empowering presence by works of the law. And now they are free in Christ. Free from the law, but they're submitting to bondage if they accept the false teachers. It, insistence on circumcision and observing days. Works of the law. If they accept that, It's as though, he says, Christ died for nothing. He's he's appealing to their experience. The contrast, the great contrast here is works of the law and hearing with faith. And his point is the experience of beginning life with Christ. Is on the basis of faith. And and life as a Christian continues on the basis of faith alone, apart from works of the law. He remembers, he was there that the transformation that took place in their lives when they saw, when they received that gift of illumination. It was a dynamic, powerful work of the Spirit. It was a revival. They've been deceived by an evil eye and now they're ready to add works of the law. So he wants to learn this one thing just only. Just just, I want to one thing. Tell me this. He was there. It was an experience. He knows they were there too. It's not something you miss. The argument of this letter is about life in the Spirit of God. It's an appeal to this. And he uses this to demonstrate the truthfulness of Reformed theology. He's going to use this to demonstrate how wrong they are to get faith wrong. His concern is to show them that their relationship with God is grounded solely on faith alone. It's by Christ alone, through faith alone, by grace alone. It's not the result of works of the law. By any measure. You receive the Spirit by hearing the Gospel with faith. Here's what Martin Luther said in his commentary. Man's heart does not understand nor believe that so great a treasure Namely, the Holy Spirit is given by only the hearing of faith. But reasons after this manner, forgiveness of sins, deliverance, the giving of the Holy Spirit, of righteousness and everlasting life are great things. Therefore, if you will obtain these benefits, you must perform some other great and weighty matter. This opinion, listen, the devil does well like and approve. And also increases the same in the heart. But we must think that it pleases God freely to give this unspeakable gift to us. I say who are unworthy. As Christ says in Luke, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. Though we are unworthy, we receive powerful experience of God's presence by faith alone. Verse 3, are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? You began the Christian life powerfully converted and filled with the Spirit. And it all happened. You experienced all this by faith. Not by works of the law. Now, it would be so foolish. Are you so foolish? Are you that foolish? To now try to live the Christian life by works of the law? This is is the heart of the matter in in Galatians. This is the crucial issue. This is what is making this letter so emotional for Paul. He is teaching us. We are learning how to live the Christian life. We are not, verse 3, being perfected by works of the law. We're not coming to completion in Christ by works of the law. By the flesh. For Paul, it's the flesh. If, If they receive circumcision, it's the flesh. It's striving in the flesh to be right with God. To live for God. It's to leave Christ. The Christian life is a life empowered by the Spirit, by faith in the good news about Christ. The Spirit is received when we believe the Gospel. And outside of that, life before Christ, life lived outside of Christ, it's just living in the flesh. It's to put their confidence in the flesh. It's to be self-confident. It's the opposite of trusting Christ. Trusting him alone for fellowship. And Paul's angry. He will later call these false teachers agitators. It's not an innocent mistake, it's very serious. So let's pause for a moment. Are you self confident? Am I self confident? Are we self confident? Are we self sufficient? You, over there. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's, It's easy to evaluate this. Prayer is the most tangible expression of trusting God. Did you depend on God this week? Did I depend on God this week? Or did we live our lives independent of God? Did we live self-confidently? Was business good? Worry and anxiety are expressions of pride, according to Peter. Listen, all this comes from my personal devotions. This is what I've learned as I take my soul to task. It's the flesh. It's self-confidence. It's not how we complete the Christian life. Number two, second important biblical truth is justification. It's right in our text. Verse 6, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He was justified before God by faith. The, the, The false teachers are clearly pointing to Abraham as proof of the need for works of the law of circumcision. They're messing with the wrong guy. He's going to now teach them from Scripture accurately, biblically. And he appeals, though, to the corporate experience, the experience in the churches in Galatia, and then moves to this biblical view. He's now going to demonstrate from Scripture and, and kind of combine the two, word and spirit. How you become one of Abraham's children. How you become one of the people of God. How you enter the covenant. You do it like Abraham did it. You do it by faith. Abraham was justified by faith alone. It is a powerful moment in the Bible. God's people in the New Covenant live by faith like Abraham did in Genesis. Amazing. In Christ, we've become heirs of the Abrahamic covenant. The promises made to Abraham are fulfilled in the coming of the Spirit. Abraham's right standing with God was a result of his trust in God. In Genesis 15, Abraham, remember, was wondering if his only heir would be his servant. And the Lord promised him, no, you're going to have so many kids more numerous than the stars of heaven. And Abraham responded by believing. He believed. He believed God. He performed no works. The focus is on the work of the Lord. The focus is on Abraham's trust in what the Lord would do. That he would fulfill his promises and it was counted to him as righteousness. He was justified by his faith. It was reckoned to him that he was righteous He wasn't inherently righteous. Read Genesis. It was a gift to Abraham. He received by believing. He was counted as righteous before God by faith, even though he was ungodly. God justifies sinners. Faith is counted as righteousness. Why? Why? Because it unites Believers to Christ. Even Abraham. Christ is our righteousness. Verse 7, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So what's required to be part of Abraham's family? Works of the law? No. They, They appealed to Abraham. For obvious reasons, but no. Children of Abraham believe just like Abraham did. Abraham believed before the law was even given. The Galatians don't need circumcision to be justified in God's sight. It's faith and faith alone that makes one a child of Abraham. Verse 8, the Scripture. The Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Blessings to people, Jews. Blessings to Gentiles through the gospel. They receive the blessings of Abraham when they are justified through their faith in Jesus Christ. It was God's intention from the beginning to bless The Gentiles in chapter 12 of Genesis, he said to Abraham, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The Scriptures were preaching the Gospel to Abraham. It points to Christ. And he believed the promise. And he was justified by faith alone. Paul personifies Scripture. The Scripture says. So that what the Scripture says is what God says. It's prophetic. It foresaw. The Scripture foresaw. God said, all the world will be blessed because I'm going to send my son. Verse 9, so then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the man of faith. The false teachers are wrong. The Galatians are part of Abraham's family. They're blessed just like Abraham was blessed. They're justified by faith alone. This, this great Reformation truth is right here in this text. And finally, experience. These, these two truths lead to experience. If you look in verse 4, it says, did you suffer if you, if you have an ESV Bible? Some translations translate it like this, but if you have an ESV Bible, you'll have a little number there and there'll be a text note that says uh, experience. Did you experience? And it fits the context better. The word can mean experience and it seems it does here. Did you experience so many things if in, in vain, if indeed it was in vain? You experience justification. Jake remembers that he was converted on October 15th. You experience justification. Robert Murray McChain is an example. He died when he was 29 years old. He had a short life, but he had a powerful life. He was a local church in Scotland. He died in 1843. He served at church for only six years. Died of typhus fever, probably because he was caring and praying for the sick. He was born in in Scotland. His parents were moderates in the Church of Scotland. Those were... People that preached moralistic sermons, they minimized the cross, the new birth, the power of the Spirit. He said he grew up devoid of God, but he met a guy named Thomas Chalmers. He was teaching at the university he went to in Edinburgh. Chalmers was John Piper before John Piper. You may have heard of his famous sermon, The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. I heard Dr. Piper say, that's all I ever want to do with my life. It's in that sermon. And McShane was profoundly changed. Chalmers had been converted while he was serving as a pastor. And he became the main man in the revival in the Scottish church. He was reformed, but he was an experiential preacher. And McShane was converted. He experienced justification, no longer devoid of God, and he wrote this poem. He loved the the Reformation. He celebrated the free grace of God with Martin Luther. And he wrote this poem called Jehovah Sid Canoe, The Lord Our Righteousness. And then the subtitle, The Watchword of the Reformers. I once was a stranger to grace and to God. I knew not my danger and felt not my load. Though friends spoke in rapture of Christ on the tree, Jehovah Sidkenu was nothing to me. When free grace awoke me by light from on high, then legal fear shook me. I trembled to die. No refuge, no safety in self could I see. Jehovah Sidkenu my Savior must be. He was converted my terror's all vanish before the sweet name. My guilty fears banished. With, with boldness I came to drink at the fountain, life-giving and free. Jehovah Sidkenu is all things to me. Faith, justification. They're reformed doctrines, but they result in powerful experiences. McShane, Lloyd-Jones, Martin Luther, Paul. They all have transformed lives in the new covenant God's people aren't marked by circumcision they aren't marked by works of the law they're marked by the spirit they're marked by powerful works of the spirit they're marked by God's empowering presence let me ask you verse 2 did you receive the spirit by the works of the law by hearing with faith he could talk about Receiving the Spirit because he saw it. Clearly, it's something that is noticeable. He rarely mentions visible evidences of the Spirit in this kind of context, but it's clear. These churches experience the Spirit like we read about in other places in the New Testament, like in the book of Acts. When the spirit was at work there was evidence it was visible it was experienced it was accompanied by wonders there were happenings that gave evidence that's god at work dynamic visible god expects this he was there he can bring it up he can remind them because they remember too The Spirit is is crucial and it's noticeable. Last week when I got to the meeting, I was was out saying hello to folks as they came in and Sean and Katie Van Dyke, Walt prayed for Katie this morning, walked in the door happy, smiling as they always are. They're five kids. Sean barking out orders. How many donuts you get. Then on Monday morning, Katie, I learned, was diagnosed with cancer. Then on Tuesday, I got this email from Sean. Hey, I just wanted to let you know that I feel like the Lord has put something on my heart. To see if there's any opportunity for us to serve other people. I really believe God has allowed Katie to go through this for a reason. And it's to bring others to Christ with her story. And the journey we've been on for the last 10 years. If there's any opportunity to do this, let me know. So I wrote him, I said, can I talk about this in my sermon Sunday? And he said, sure. So I I asked him about the details. Katie was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis in 2008. And over the last couple years, it's began to progress. Areas of her brain, there's brain tissue that dies. If you know anything about the disease, these areas are getting larger. There's no known cause. There's no known cure. Five years ago, Katie felt a lump in the front of her neck. Turned out the doctor determined that it was, they were 90% certain it was thyroid cancer. She had this surgery, they did a biopsy. It wasn't cancer, they believed God healed her. She'd been operating with half a thyroid for the last five years, no issues. That's God's mercy. That they, they believe that's God healing her. Now, on Monday, they found another lump. And they, they're saying it's 100% now that it's cancer. And they've scheduled surgery for November 6th. Please pray for her. They're going to remove the rest of the thyroid. And then Sean says that, that pretty much covers the nuts and bolts. And he wants me to tell that story so you'll come to Christ. See, I believe that's spiritual power. Not just miracles, healing, sustaining, but just that impulse. Just that walking in the door full of joy. I shook Katie's hand last Sunday. This huge smile on her face. That's That's the power of God. God's at work all around us. We don't realize what He's doing. Sean concluded his email by saying, although not a medical condition, she has been married to me for 16 years. And I believe that's the greatest miracle of all. What what is it that distinguishes a Christian? Those guys are Christians. The false teachers want to come in and say it's works of the law circumcision, observing days like the law says. Paul says, no, it's God's empowering presence in a person's life like I observed last Sunday, like you observe when I read those emails. It's the Spirit that functions to give us evidence that the person is a believer unmistakable evidence that someone is a Christian. This is how we know Katie Van Dyke is united to Jesus Christ. Paul says, did you experience so many things in vain? You experienced all this work of the Spirit. I saw it. He's appealing to them. I just have to believe this worked. If you yield to the works of the law, he says in chapter 5, you're severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you've fallen away from grace if you do that. He is expressing disbelief that people who had experienced so much of God's Spirit would now turn to works of the law in light of the fact it was so evident to him and to them that they had been justified because of the work of the Spirit. You know, the Reformation was a revival. It was, you know, everybody that talks about it, Christian and non-Christian, says there, there there was a revival. Society was transformed. We've been watching the Vietnam movies by Ken Burns, the documentaries recently, and they showed the 60s and all the turmoil. It was like that in the Reformation, but it was religion that was driving the boat. College students were involved. I've I've read about them pelting priests with dung. They'd take dung. (laughs) Poo-poo. And put rocks in it and throw them at the priests. I don't know if that was a work of the Spirit, but things were being stirred up. They would go into the churches and not allow the priests to worship Mary. They would drive them from the altar. They would post threatening letters on the monasteries. They They invaded the churches when Mass was being given. And they'd start singing songs like, O Beer of Brunswick. To disturb the meetings. It's amazing the things that were happening. In January 1522, there was a, a newsletter that went out and reported what was going on in Wittenberg, Luther's town. Man said, It looks to me as if God intends to offer us all great grace. The prince can no longer stop matters. Let other princes do what they will. They won't be able to prevent or suppress it. It is from or by God. We will yet see miracles. All around, in all little towns, strange events and happenings are taking place. May God grant His grace. Amen. That's written by a non-Christian. A biography by a non-Christian. That's what was going on. That's what was being reported. The person that wrote that report told about a merchant arriving in Wittenberg and he went to the Augustinian monastery. There was only one monk left. Everybody else had left. And he gave praise to God and thanks and wept. and called Wittenberg the holy city. Doctrine. Experience. Faith. Justification. They go together. Revival. Verse 5, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? He's appealing to their present experience. They received the Spirit and they continue to receive the Spirit by faith alone. He's, He's not talking about just individuals. He's talking about whole communities. The churches, different churches, they are experiencing the Spirit. If you began life in the Spirit, Paul is saying in light of how much of the Spirit's presence you've experienced, all by faith, all apart from works of the law, well then, your present experience of the Spirit, these supplies of the Spirit that you keep receiving... You're now enjoying them. They're not based on works of the law. So therefore, justification is by faith alone say no to works of the law. The implication here is that there's ongoing supplies of the Spirit. And I want us to evaluate our experience of the Spirit in light of these Scriptures. And also throughout the New Testament, we read things like Ephesians 5, be filled with the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 13, have fellowship with the Spirit. Galatians 5, we'll see live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. Paul will talk about the fruit of the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 12, he said, to each one, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. And he talks about in Ephesians 4, not grieving the Holy Spirit, not quenching the Spirit. It's surprising, it's shocking how many activities are said to be done in the Spirit. Here's what Gordon Fee says, our own experience of the church tends to cause us to be either unfamiliar or quite uncomfortable with such phenomena we would prefer to believe the pauline churches were more like ours and less like the pauline and lucan documents suggest they really were but the evidence in this case seems incontrovertible a spirit lay near the center of paul's theology precisely because the experience of the spirit in the life of the believer and the church was such a central feature of their experience and existence as believers. Ooh, we want this. We want God working miracles among us. We want to talk about faith. We want to talk about justification. I love Reformed theology. I grew up, when I first became a Christian, I was in Pentecostal and charismatic churches. And I experienced fullness of the Spirit, I believe. And I love Reformed theology. As I study it, I love it. I I feel like it's increased my fellowship with the Spirit. But I believe today the Lord is calling us to understand and pursue experiences with the Spirit. Next couple Sunday mornings at our Cornerstone U class, we're going to be talking about this in depth gifts of the spirit we want to stir this we want to stir a hunger we need the power of the spirit we need revival we need it in our own lives we need it in this church and we need it in our community so lord come we invite you this morning we confess i am not self-confident lord i am not confident in the flesh lord I I do not believe, we do not believe as a church that we are self-sufficient. We point our finger at you. We say you are the self-sufficient one. Only you, Lord, are self-sufficient. We are dependent. And we come to you and we cry out this morning, Lord, fill us with your spirit individually. Lord, fill this church with your spirit. Do miracles among us. Begin today, Lord, by saving people in this auditorium. Let them see Christ crucified. Give them the gift of illumination, Lord. Give them the gift of faith. And let them be converted, regenerated, transformed by the grace of God. Bring revival, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Bill Kittrell given during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us on the web at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in celebrating God's grace and pursuing God's purpose.